everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You're listening to episode number 11. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on July 1, 2018. First off, I have a quick personal update. Today, I will be finishing the third draft of Project Gecko. That's book two in the Lara Kingsley series. Um, Next week, I'll read through it a few times, and then I will send it off to my line editor. Uh, What that means is that we're getting closer to its release in September, and I'm so excited. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time and cost of producing this show for only a few dollars a month. Please go to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. Okay, let's get to the show. Let's talk tech. Uh, I have two headlines for you this week, um, both of which have inspired uh, my various stories. So the first one here is FLIR set to develop small surveillance drones for the U.S. Army. This article is very, very short, published on June 27 at DroneDJ.com. So really what this is about is a company called FLIR is developing the Black Hornet 3 Nano Drone for use by the U.S. Army. These tiny drones will provide real-time intelligence of surroundings on the ground, and this is especially important for units which do not have aerial support or satellite connection. This drone is so small, it can fit in the palm of your hand. It weighs 32 grams, its range is 1.25 miles, and it can fly at a speed of 13 miles per hour. On board this really tiny drone, which fits in the palm of your hand, it has GPS, a navigation system, and thermo micro cameras. Um, This is the kind of development that inspired Bionic Bug, um, and we're really only at the beginning. We're entering an era of miniature robotics, not just flight-controlled insects, such as in Bionic Bug, but also tiny drones capable of surveillance and much more. And a lot of this is happening because of rapid advancements in materials, making drones lighter weight. Uh, Sensors, these are Um, Sensors that sense things from the environment take in input and then you have microelectronics or processors that are able to process that information and then inform the drone's uh, flight or actions, but also batteries. So we um, will probably see some revolution in battery life in the next five years. And all of this allows engineers to pack more capabilities onto smaller platforms. And these are incredibly powerful platforms for all sorts of things good and bad. The second headline, power multiplying exoskeletons are slimming down for use on the battlefield. This article is published on June 28 in Popular Science Magazine. If you've ever dreamed of having the strength of Iron Man, your dreams may come true soon for soldiers on the battlefield. Or maybe like me, when you're at the cafeteria, you just wish you had a third arm to carry all the stuff. Well, exoskeletons are becoming less bulky and more powerful, and there's many types that are under development. The U.S. Army Research Laboratory, for example, is working on developing a third arm for soldiers to carry and support their weapons. And this third arm stabilizes rifles, improving shooting accuracy, and minimizing fatigue. Personally, I want it again so I can carry my coffee and not spill it all over everything. 
Lockheed Martin has also recently unveiled an exoskeleton. It's like a form-fitting suit. Um, looks like a series of athletic braces um, that go over your, your clothing, um, designed to reduce the effort a soldier would need to walk, run, climb while carrying heavy loads. And I'm particularly fascinated by these developments. In fact, they have inspired much of the storyline in Project Echo, so I hope you say, stay tuned for that. Okay, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Lara learned more about KillerBot and received another strange note demanding she meet someone at the National Cryptologic Museum. Will she check it out this time? Let's find out. Chapter 11, The Museum. Colorful fall leaves stood out against a clear blue sky. The afternoon sun gently illuminated the world in natural light. Despite the bright weather, a dark cloud loomed above Lara as she rode out to Fort Meade. Instead of basking in a blissful ride on her bike, tension riddled Lara's entire body. On top of Sully's murder and dealing with Rob, her head swam with the fact that someone was stalking her. And underlying all of that, she now felt the pang of guilt for not telling Vic where she was going. Vic would likely give her another earful when she returned, especially after her little speech about being honest with one another. But she couldn't risk putting him in danger. At least she'd had the good sense to call Justine, who agreed to meet her there. There was a good chance this stalker was Sully's killer. Their safety in numbers, right? Revving her engine for the last time, Lara pulled her Harley into the nearly empty parking lot of the National Cryptologic Museum. Only a few cars were parked near the museum entrance. Did one of them belong to her stalker? Lara scanned the entire area. Where's Justine? She said she'd be in the parking lot. Lara decided to check for her inside and gave the place a quick once-over. The museum was nestled in a far corner of Fort Meade near the overflow parking for the NSA. In the near distance, barbed wire fences cut through the landscape, shrouded in secrecy and designed like a fortress. The NSA was guarded by armed federal agents and dogs. A fleet of visible in-your-face cameras monitored every inch of the grounds. This fortress had two critical missions. Protect the nation's secrets from potential adversaries and listen in on the communications of terrorists and foreign nations. And unless you were a VIP within, with the appropriate level of clearance, there was no such thing as a behind-the-scenes tour of the NSA. The National Cryptologic Museum held the honor of being the first public museum associated with the intelligence community. Inside, the general public could learn about the fundamentals of signals intelligence and America's cryptologic history. Lara walked up to the entrance, noticing a placard. It described the nature of the exhibits, which among other things, contained old equipment used to encrypt, decrypt, and secure information. Words like uncleared facility and no classified talk stuck out in bold on a large sign positioned above the placard to remind NSA employees and visitors that the museum was not the place for sensitive conversations. Lara stepped inside the building. Minimal lighting provided a dark and mysterious atmosphere with spotlights focused on the individual exhibits. At the front desk, the museum docent, a white-haired woman in her 60s, introduced herself to Lara and offered to show her around. Lara politely declined and made her way into the ex exhibition space where few people milled about. Justine was not there yet. 
Lara studied the few museum visitors carefully, trying to determine if one might be the author of the cryptic note. A young man with brown hair and glasses, dressed in a business suit, stood near the secure phones exhibit. He carried a slim briefcase and looked like he might be waiting for a job interview. Perhaps he'd arrived too early and decided to stop at the museum to kill time. Lara walked away, walked by him, but he didn't notice. He's not the one. In the corner, a young couple, dressed in souvenir t-shirts depicting the Washington Monument, standing in front of the Signals Intelligence exhibit and posing for a selfie. Definitely tourists. Walking around to the next exhibit, Lara stopped cold when she saw an older man lingering in the darkest corner of the cyber exhibit. On the wall in front of him hung a descriptive plaque about the dark web. With his back to her, the gray-haired man slouched, his shoulders fidgeted with the sleeve of his jacket, and glanced at his watch. He wore a tattered corduroy blazer and wrinkled khaki slacks. Maybe that's him? Her pulse picking up speed, Lara approached the man with caution. When she was within five feet of him, the man turned to face her. He gave Lara a warm smile. Ma'am, can I help you with something? Her eyes darted to the name tag on his blazer, which identified him as a museum docent. She exhaled. No, but thank you. She weaved a path around the docent and finished searching the rest of the museum. It was empty. The stalker was a no-show. For the next ten minutes, Lara sat on a bench in between exhibits. She tapped her foot on the matte black floor and glanced at her watch. It had been several hours since the delivery of the manila envelope and over an hour since she'd received the text. Perhaps she'd arrived too late and missed the window for the meetup. Either way, it looked more and more like a fool's errand. She decided to wait for a few more minutes before giving up. At least she and Justine could exchange any new information on the case. As she let her eyes wander, the cipher device display caught her attention. Walking toward the exhibit, she remembered learning in school about the German Enigma machine captured during World War II. The Americans and the Brits had cracked the Nazi code with the U.S. Navy's cryptoanalytic bomba, decrypting thousands of internal messages between German leadership and military forces. This breakthrough led to many Allied successes in World War II and ultimately to their victory over the Third Reich. A figure appeared in the display's reflection. Trying to appear subtle, she turned her head slightly to get a glimpse. A tall, dark-haired woman wearing a black trench coat Sunglasses and high heels passed by the docent's counter. Lara stood and turned, offering a little wave. Justine returned the wave and walked over and smiled warmly. You made it, Lara said, reaching to shake Justine's hand. It's good to see you again. Thanks for having my back. Doing this alone didn't seem wise. No trouble at all. I had plans to meet up with a friend at the NSA anyway. It's easier to pop over here instead. We'll just meet up here when she gets off work. I can avoid the hassle of going through security and I don't have to give up my cell phone. It's so much easier to coordinate things on the outside. Lara nodded. She had been at the NSA once before and remembered to leave her cell phone in the car, but had forgotten about the small USB drive stowed in the pocket of her bag. The security guard confiscated it and gave her a once-over for having the audacity to bring such a thing anywhere near the building. The NSA lived under the constant threat of leaks by malicious insiders, and USBs were ideal for stealing classified information or installing intrusion malware. So, as our suspect showed up, Justine surveyed the museum as she pulled Lara aside. 
into a dimly lit hall. Her grip was a bit too tight. Not yet, Laura said, rubbing her arm. I think he might be a no-show. Anything new on the case? Justine asked. Should we talk about the case somewhere more private? Laura asked. Justine grabbed Laura's arm again, this time pulling her closer. No one else is here, Laura. Besides, we're not going to talk about classified details. Despite her vice-like grip, her voice remained gentle and reassuring. Um, Lara's senses were overwhelmed by Justine's perfume, the same tropical flower aroma she'd picked up at DARPA. After years in the military, she didn't care for small spaces any more than she liked beetles. With a nose like a bloodhound, she detested artificial fragrances. Justine smiled. Okay, I'll go first. I learned from the FBI that the drone show you witnessed was actually a sting operation to draw out someone who calls himself Cybershop on the dark web. Lara nodded. Actually, I heard the same thing. She studied Justine's fixed facial expression. Justine smiled, but her skin remained unbelievably smooth. Not a single wrinkle. Some people have all the luck. Well, did you know that Killerbot paid the FBI 100k as a deposit toward the purchase of the drones? He was going to pay them twice that much on delivery. Justine raised her eyebrows and tilted her head. Lara gritted her teeth. Rob, what else did you hide? No, I didn't. That's a shit ton of money for drones. Especially since Killerbot ended up reneging on the drone purchase, Justine added. I hear the FBI pocketed the deposit for their slush fund. What? Ja ja Lara's jaw dropped. Why would Killerbot pay the deposit, order up the drone show, and then cancel the sale? Justine crossed her arms and leaned closer. It gets even weirder than that. Apparently, Cybershop provided encryption technology to the FBI to support the operation. Lara took a step back. What? She hadn't expected to be right about her suspicion that the FBI ex accepted existence from a spy. What is Rob playing at? This didn't sound like standard protocol for the FBI. None of it did. Are you sure? Justine nodded. We've honed in on my colleague Stepanov as the key suspect for Cybershop. It makes the most sense to us. His home agency is NSA, and now he's on detail to DARPA. He's perfectly positioned to leak both encryption technology and the advanced drone modification he's, modifications he knows so much about. Lara rubbed her chin. Huh, that's interesting. What would be his motivation? Money, what else? Justine tossed her long black hair behind her shoulder. So? She looked at her expectantly. You seem to lot, know a lot more than I do at this point. I met with Special Agent Martin earlier today, and he said nothing about collaborating with you. In fact, he didn't even mention the money. You think he might be involved somehow? Justine frowned. I hadn't thought about that. Is it possible his higher-ups don't know about his activities as Drone Man? That's strange. He didn't mention me, though. I talked about you with him. Lara furrowed her brows. He's never honest with me, but I keep believing him. Fool me once. One thing I did learn today, the FBI originally thought Sully was Killerbot. A confused look fell across Justine's face. Why would they think that? Lara shrugged. No idea. I guess they thought Sully was using two different pseudonyms on the dark web. Huh. Strange. Justine bit her lower lip for a moment before looking at her watch. Ugh, I didn't realize the time, her smile returned. My friend is expecting me out by the NSA employee parking lot, which is a bit of a walk from here. Do you think he'll be okay? 
It doesn't look like this guy is going to show. Yeah, Lara said. Thanks for coming. I'm probably going to head out soon. I think you're right. He's not coming. It was a good idea to call me. Let me know if your stalker shows up. I'll be in touch. Justine waved to her and turned the corner into the main room in the museum, disappearing from sight. Lara let out a deep breath and stepped into the open. She rotated her shoulders back and forth and stretched her arms as if she'd just spent a week packed into a tight cylinder. She appreciated the intel from Justine, but why did the woman insist on invading her personal space? Lara scanned the various exhibits. The other patrons had all left the museum. Still no sign of her stalker. She glanced at her watch. It was past time to get back to the office and fill Vic in on what, she, what had happened. When she exited the building, the museum parking lot was empty, except for her motorcycle and a black BMW convertible. As she approached her bike, something white peeked out from underneath her handlebar, almost out of sight. Another scroll waiting for her there, like the one attached to the beetle except bigger. Her hand shook as she pulled the scroll off the handlebar. She rolled it open and read the tiny print. If you want to meet me, you'll have to learn to follow instructions. Next time, come alone. That's it? Looking up at the sky for a surveillance drone, she shook her fist and shouted, Really? That's all you've got? Maybe next time be more specific. Put times, dates, and important instructions. You never said come alone. You're the worst, world's worst stalker. Her impulse to shout fulfilled. She grimaced and glanced around her, thankful to find no one watching. Lara searched for any indicators as to who had placed the note on her bike. Cameras were posted all over Fort Meade, but there was no way she could go up and ask the security guards to pull footage. Another dead end. Frustrated, Lara put her helmet on and mounted her bike. When she turned the ignition, nothing happened. She tried again, but the engine wouldn't start. Dismounting the bike, she examined the engine. Everything looked intact, except for the cut fuel line. Lara kicked the curb. She pulled her helmet off and almost pitched it across the parking lot, but took several deep breaths instead. Her stalker had stranded her. But why? Why sabotage my bike? She considered her options for getting back to D.C. Since Vic insisted on taking public transportation like it was his patriotic duty, he didn't own a car. Justine could still be in the area, but Lara didn't want to interrupt her meeting. Only one option remained, a driverless cab. She chewed on her lip as she looked at the GoGo cab app. You're a big girl, Lara. Push the button. Before she could, the screen changed to an incoming call. This is Lara. Miss Kingsley, Detective Sanchez here. I need you to come down to the station. The medical examiner finished the autopsy, and she wants to talk to you. Lara put her hand on her forehead. Uh, I'm actually out at Fort Meade. How soon can you get here? That's the problem. Someone cut the fuel line on my motorcycle, so it might be a while. After a momentary pause, Lara checked the screen to see if she'd lost the call. She hadn't. Hello? Lara asked. I'm here, Sanchez said. Let me come get you. You do that? Lara asked. Sure. Consider it an apology for trying to arrest you again. A little smile crossed her lips. That'd be really nice. Thank you. I'll bring an evidence kit with me. We'll brush down your bike for prints and find the perp who did this. You don't have to go through all that trouble. It's no trouble. After saying thank you again, Lara hung up the phone, opened the seat compartment, and removed her worn-out leather baseball glove. 
No way I'm leaving this behind. Detective Sanchez dusted her bike for prints, collected some skin cells from the fuel line, and put the scroll in an evidence bag for forensics testing. That should do it. If the perp has a record in one of our databases, we'll nail them for this and maybe more. As they headed toward the patrol car, Sanchez turned to her. You'll ride in the back, okay? Lara's mouth fell open. What? You offer to pick me up, and now you want me to sit in the back like some common criminal? She glanced at the mesh screen made of steel, aluminum, and plexiglass separated that separated the front seat from the back and pulled up her nose. She didn't want to think about what kind of bodily fluids had covered the rear seat at one time or another. Lara shook her head. I'm not sitting back there, not unless you're arresting me for something. Don't tempt me. Sanchez crossed his arms and glared at her over the roof of the cruiser for a few seconds, as if he were trying to find an excuse. I don't want you messing with my stuff in the front. Lara rolled her eyes and reached the handle of the front door. I won't touch your stuff, I promise. Sanchez grunted and frowned at her. She tried to open the front door, but it was locked. She motioned for him to unlock it, and he sighed heavily. As soon as she heard the click, she opened the door and climbed inside before he could change his mind. Sanchez slammed the door shut, grunted again, and started the engine. On the way back to D.C., they hit major traffic, barely inching forward on the George Washington Parkway for more than 20 minutes, with an awkward silence between them. Although Lara won the argument, radio equipment and the computer terminal in the front of the vehicle now crowded her. She stared sullenly out of the passenger window of the patrol car, hoping desperately that traffic would clear up soon. Uh, did your guys find anything interesting when you searched Sully's townhouse? Lara asked, attempting to build a bridge. Sanchez kept his eyes glued on the road. Not really. We found some latent prints inside the safe room, but there were no matches in the fingerprints database. We have excluded you as a match, so we know more than one person had access to the room besides Sully. Lara frowned. Did you find anything on Sully's computer or his video archives? The high-tech crime unit analyzed the contents of Sully's electronics. The computer was wiped clean, even the internet browser history. And someone tampered with the video footage erasing everything five days prior to Sully's death. Why only five days? Why not destroy all the video files? Sanchez shrugged. What do you think of Stepanoff as a potential suspect? Lara asked cautiously. Sanchez sighed heavily. Oh, we're playing detective now, are we? Think you're so smart you can do my job too? Lara furrowed her brow. I'm playing investigator, which is my job. I'm just trying to help. I'm merely asking you what you think about the idea. Well, it's fucking stupid. She'd planned to fill the detective in on her meetings with Rob and Justine. But if that's how he wanted to play, she was happy to play his game. Lara clenched her jaw. Well, okay then, who's on your list? Until you're off the list, I'm not telling you shit. You still think I had something to do with Sully's murder? I thought we were working together. Sanchez said nothing. He just stared out the window. Lara adjusted her body away from him as best as she could in the claustrophobic seat and stared out her window. Let me come get you. It's no trouble. I'd love to treat you like an idiot. She turned, ready to fire another shot, and then shifted back, folding her arms tight across her chest. He's not worth it. Okay, let's go behind the scenes. It's been a few weeks since I've taken you behind the scenes, um, but I have something to share today about Chapter 11. 
In my real job, I often get to visit places that most people don't have access to. Um, because of my security clearance and what I do, I've been to the FBI, the CIA, the National Security Agency, and that's um, what Chapter 11 is about. So I've had the opportunity to visit NSA twice and learn about all the work they do there, most of which I can't tell you or I'd have to kill you. Womp womp. Um, but I've also visited the National Cryptologic Museum, which is open to the public. It's a very small museum. It's a long drive to Fort Meade, but it's worth it. I recommend a visit. Um, they have one of the Enigma sh machines on display um, there, and it's just fascinating to learn all about um, signals intelligence and how important that has been to national security. It kind of puts into perspective um, the importance of the work of NSA because they get a lot of negative press, and so it's really important to understand what they do for us. Um, so as authors, sometimes we incorporate stories from our personal lives into our books, and uh, we don't always tell you that, so I'm going to tell you. So in Chapter 11, I mentioned Lara accidentally brings a USB into the NSA, and if you know anything about USBs, it's a great way to smuggle out um, data, but also um, bring in malware. Um, and so they are verboten um, at the NSA. And uh, I'm visiting the NSA um, for the second time, and I know the drill, and I left my cell phone in the car. And, um, but I'd forgotten all about a tiny, tiny USB drive in a pocket in my purse. And to my embarrassment, it was the security personnel who detected it upon screening, and I got a lot of uncomfortable stares, and then I had to lock it up in a lockbox. So that was, that was fun. All right, well, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.